Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Today I'm going to be reading to you a passage from Genesis. It is Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 28. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is David Wagner. I'm one of the elders at Missio Day Humble Park. And today we're continuing on in our shared series entitled Fire by Night, Finding God in the Dark. And it's been quite some time since we've done this. We've shared a series together. And in part, that's because we're in this season together. This unprecedented time, we're all experiencing the same thing, but separated from one another. And though we are experiencing the same thing, there is a growing sense of isolation. As the days bleed into days, weeks become more weeks. It's not just the extroverts that are struggling. Isolation is for everybody. Now, what we are doing in this season is we are living in the moment, right? We can't look or live in the past. We are uncertain about the future. And so we're forced to contend with the now, the fragility of our lives, of our time, and also of our perception of certainty. You know, fragile spaces can often become desperate situations. And in desperation, we tend to get grabby. We grab for certain things, things that we know will satisfy us. I've seen this in, in two major ways in this season. The first is the things that we consume, right? Food, uh, drink, our media, we're consuming more than we've ever consumed before, and does it really satisfy? And the other thing that we try to do is produce. We try to do more. I mean, if I see another Instagram telling me to maximize this season of COVID-19, I'm going to go crazy because I've got CPS kids, and I'm just trying to survive in this season. And when it's all said and done, I think we'll find that this wasn't a season of consuming or producing. It's not a season of doing, but a season of becoming. It's a formative time for us, not only individually, but also as a people. And so as we are being formed in this season, as we are becoming uh, what God has intended for us to become in this season, even though it's hard and dark, we want to step into that faithfully. C.S. Lewis, he wrote, Until We Have Faces, he said that, Often it's the dark places that are the most holy. And later he said that seeds grow in the dark. And I would categorize this season a bit like a dark season, a bit like a hard season. Well, the good news for us is that we have the Bible and the word of God to encourage us. And we find that the Bible is filled with stories of people who've lived in really dark times, in difficult situations, often seasons of isolation from other people, and they have found God in that place. Often that's where God will meet us. So over the course of the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to spend time telling story. 
looking at specific characters in the Bible who went through seasons very similar or maybe a little extreme, but similar to the dark time that we might find ourselves in. What we discover in these stories is that these people journey out of that season with a greater understanding of the path that God had them on. They journey out of that season with a greater dependency and trust in God and greater intimacy with God. So let us use this season to be marked as a distinct and dependent people. Now the series title, Fire by Night, it comes from that infamous story of how they the Hebrews were liberated from Egypt. They were freed and sent on this long journey to the promised land. What's striking about that journey is that they crossed over the Red Sea in fear, afraid that they would be, we'd be forced back into labor, forced back into slavery in Egypt. And so they cross over the Red Sea and the miraculous provision of God, and they enter into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they are daily dependent upon manna from God to feed them, to sustain them. They're daily dependent on the presence of God, the leadership of God. And that was seen in a cloud by day and fire by night. So the wilderness is not always fun, but most certainly it is formative. The wilderness is often described as silent, as lonely, and even painful. One author wrote that in the silence, God gives us himself bigger than our pain, beyond our expectations, closer than our breath, God with us. So just as the people of God wandered through the wilderness dependent on God, we are looking for the same fire to guide us in this season. Today's story is the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob is a notorious character. Uh, he is referenced over 350 times in the Bible. Half of those references are in the book of Genesis. God says of himself that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is seen as a patriarch, an ancestor, a nation that is Israel. But today what I want to look at is Jason, uh, Jacob the person. And Jacob uh, the person was an aggressive and colorful character. Jacob the person was always put in situations of conflict, and he fostered that conflict. You know, it could be said that, that Jacob was born into, into conflict. He was a twin, and even in the womb, him and, and Esau conflicted with one another. Esau, the older that was born, uh, was just born with Jacob grabbing at the hill. And so his name that was given to him by his parents, which I think reflects more of his family's character than specifically Jacob, is heel catcher or trickster. It means to supplant or to deceive or to attack from uh, the rear. You know, and, and for us, when we think about names, we, you know, with our children, we grab a book and there's a book of 10,000 adorable baby names. And we pick one that just sounds the best with our, with our last name, you know, but in the ancient world, this was not the case. In the ancient world, your name meant your identity something you had to live up to or to live down for the course of your life. Loosely translated, Jacob means grabby, and you see this in his life. He was constantly grasping for more. He was constantly looking to grab something outside of himself to satisfy his life. 
Now, again, the character of his family of deception that you see within Rebecca and, and Isaac, I think, marked his, his life as well. But you see Jacob living into that character for the course of his life. I want to just look at two examples with Esau, because Esau's really important with the passage that we just read. But the first is when, when Jacob steals the birthright, and then Jacob steals the blessing of Esau. Esau was so much different than, than Jacob. He was a hairy outdoor woodsman type, bass pro shop kind of guy. We find more of a New Yorker tent dweller, contemplative guy in Jacob. And so in this space that Jacob had created, we find Esau bust in and he is near death. He says, feed me, I'm about to perish. So Jacob takes this as an opportunity. He says, okay, give me your birthright. I'll give you some soup. And, and Esau does it and finds that he is unsatisfied with the deal after he's been revived by this, this stew. Much later, Isaac, their father, is, is growing older. He's afraid that the blessing would not be able to be deposited on his favorite son, which was Esau. And so he tells him, go out, prepare a meal for me, and I'll give you your blessing. Or Rebecca hears and conspires with Jacob, and Jacob deceives his father by pretending to be his brother to receive the blessing. When Esau comes back in, he is furious. He is angry. He says, how fitting is it that Jacob was called Jacob? for he has supplanted me twice. Hatred filled Esau's heart, and he sought to kill his brother. And that's when things get real for Jacob. That's when, you know, the grasping becomes a real problem, and he runs for his life. And I think about that. I think about the consequences or judgment that comes down when the pain is, is, is present or, or when the consequences of our actions hit us. Our impulse is to be like Jacob to run away, to, to run for our lives. And this is the course of his life. He is running away. I'll never address this again. I never want to go back home again. I want to flee for safety when he runs into the very presence of God. God says to him in the midst of this frantic posture, I'm going to remind you of the promise. I'm going to remind you of the covenant. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and now the God of you. He says something very specific to Jacob. Not only, Jacob, are you going to be a blessing to the whole world? I'm going to bring you back home, but I will go with you and I will keep you wherever you go. I think about those promises in our life, the things that are spoken at first when we come to God or when we come to Jesus that are formed in us much later. That is the moment here for Jacob. So Jacob lives on, Jacob prospers, and then God calls him back home. God says, Jacob, it's time. It's time to journey through the wilderness and to address the pain of the past. Well, you can imagine that, that Jacob was freaked out. He was concerned with Esau hearing. And so he, he tells Esau, I'm coming and, and I'm submitting to you and everything is, is all good. But then he hears that Esau is coming for him with 400 men and he is afraid. He's afraid as he's on this journey. Well, Jacob's journey is a lot like the wilderness experience that we find ourselves in. If you follow God, if you are a follower of Jesus, you'll go through these types of series and these types of seasons where we must confront the past, our fear, the pain, the things that are hard that we tend to avoid. Now, I'll, I'll be straight up with you. The wilderness is not fun but it is formative. Rich Philodos, a pastor in, in Queens, he said this, until the church consistently leads people to the wilderness, that is prayer, solitude, silence, reflection, 
to confront our own demons, the pain of the past or the failures of the past. We'll project those things into the world. And we'll see that some of those things in the world are reflections of ourselves. So God is bringing Jacob back to the pain of the past, addressing the past in order to break cycles, generational cycles of brokenness and sin. These things that in and of his own self, he would avoid these things. These are the things that now he must address. If, if he was going to be a blessing to others and to the world, then he had to address these things. Richard Rohr once said that, that if we don't find a way to transform our pain, that we most assuredly will transmit it. And I see this as a pastor. I've got to be honest with you all. I see this all the time. Within my own life, within our own ministry, people want to run away from these things, but that is the place where God will meet you. And that is the place where God will restore you. So we finally pick up to what was earlier read, verse 23, longest intro forever. And this is what it says. Jacob takes his family, sends him over the stream. He sends everything that he has, and Jacob was alone. This is rare. Jacob is rarely alone. He's rarely by himself. And, and in even this passage where it's Jacob's alone, Jacob wrestles with God, this is a rare moment that is highlighted by the intensity of his time. I imagine that this is a time of isolation for Jacob, that he has tremendous anxiety, that he's sitting in the silence. I think about this in my own journey, that those places where we are between the promise and the pain and the silence can be so deafening where you're poured out, you've done everything that you can, you've reached out to control the situation and it's still not enough. In those moments, it's hard to believe the words that God has already spoken over you. I am with you, I will keep you. Jesus himself said that he'll never leave us nor forsake us till the end of the age. It's hard to believe those words when you're in the moment when God is seemingly absent. You know, uh, I was so moved by Brian quoting the Beatles that I thought, hey, I'm going to quote Bono, and I might even go for the pastoral hat trick. You know, I quote C.S. Lewis, I'm going to quote Bono. If I can weave in some Lord of the Rings, then it'll bring some delight to you as you are watching this service. But there's that song on the 1987 Joshua Tree album, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And the lines go like this, I've climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The song resonates with me because it speaks to these moments, these seasons and stages of our faith where God is seemingly absent or things aren't going the way that they have gone before. You're not encountering God in the same way. You're not receiving from God in the same way. And these stages and these seasons are critical for our faith, even though they tend to be avoided. This is where growth and maturity in Christ happens in the wrestling with God in the dark. Not just to get through it, not out of stubbornness or endurance. And how we journey through these seasons really sets the mark of how we either grow out of long-term pain or our perfected story is seen or not. So this is where God brought Jacob to a place where he was alone and we get to this famous scene, probably like the clearest conversion story scene that we have in the Old Testament. Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And Jacob knows this is, this is more than a man. That's why he asked later, tell me your name. 
And I have, I've wrestled with God face to face and I've survived how wonderful of a thing that happened. This is a defining moment in Jacob's life because he's wrestling with his will and the will of God face to face. This moment plays a vital role in the process of his spiritual healing. It represents another layer of his transformation. See, blessing was spoken over him at Bethel, but it was applied to him here and now as he is embracing a new identity. We have moments where our will meets God's will face to face and we must decide anew whether we will surrender and let God direct our lives or whether we'll continue grasping at what we perceive is the good life. The time of healing that occurs in the dark and the wrestling is when the walls and barriers of our will and God's will come down. And when we encounter a new awareness of God in our lives, the psalmist, he often, uh, they often wrote about this, the integrity of their heart before God. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart, Try me, know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way within me. Lead me into the way of everlasting. Not my will, but your will, because you are good and your presence is good news. Wrestling with God in the dark confronts the motivations of our heart, which in turn manifest in either pain or praise. He will bring light to the hidden places, to the dark places. He will expose our need, and we find that our value systems are conformed. This isn't in the notes. This is just freebie, and I'm pushing at that 20 minutes, I know. But, but someone would ask me, uh, what does it take to live life in the city as a pastor, as a friend, as a father? And I was thinking about what Jesus does is he makes us have soft hearts. But in the city, you get a tough skin, you know? Or it's almost different. In the city, if you're not, if you are not dependent on the Lord, clinging on to God, you will, you'll find that the, the opposite will be true. You get a hardened heart and you get a soft skin. Things hurt you in ways that they shouldn't normally that rolled off of your back. This is what, what clinging to Jesus produces in us, though. It's a soft heart and a tough skin. And so there is Jacob wrestling through the night, pretty aware that this is God that he's wrestling with. He's never strived like this before. He's never had a conflict like this before. And then the season of dark passes. The day comes in. The time for him to let go and move on comes. But he doesn't let go. He doesn't stop grasping at what he's finally laid hold of. And so God dislocates his hip, causes some pain. He wants to test the heart of Jacob. And Jacob still won't let go. He says, the days come. Let go. We are done wrestling now. And Jacob says, I will not let go until you bless me. I know that this wrestling, I know that this season, I know that this journey is for something. I'm not too quickly moving on. And I think about us, so antsy for the next season to come, for, so antsy for the light to break in and for us to move on from this season, but let us not move on too quickly when we are grasping with the very presence of God. I will not let go unless you bless me. Here's the conversion moment, and I'll move quickly here. But God says to Jacob, what is your name? Jacob, tell me who you are. This, this reminds me a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, like the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the gateway for which Jesus says is for those who are spiritually bankrupt. And Jacob owns it. He owns his identity. He owns his character. He's not reaching for something else. He's clinging on to God. This is my name is Jacob. God says, no longer. No longer shall you be called 
the deceiver. No longer shall you be called the trickster. No longer shall you be called the one who attacks from the rear. Your name now will be Israel. For you have wrestled with man, yes, but you've wrestled with God and you've prevailed. You clinged on when you could have let go. You didn't outpace my presence. I think that's a word for us, man. That's a word for me. Will I cling on to the simplicity of the presence of God in this season as the most formative thing that I can do? More, the core of, of who I am. I love that Jacob's like, tell me your name, fully knowing that he has seen God face to face and still is left standing. So I want to leave with a simple message, and that is do not lose your grip on the presence of God. This is not about efficiency for us in this season. I don't want you to, yeah, I don't know, learn how to cook better or something. Maybe that's you, and that's peace be with you. That's not me. I'm not looking for us to be productive in this season, but I am looking for God to form us, to be softer, more tender, more able to hold on to him than ever before. I love it when, when Jacob leaves that place and when he goes to meet Esau, he's no longer in fear. He's meeting now this opportunity to reconcile with his brother. There's a song that we'll close with. It's one of my favorites. It's Give Me Jesus. It says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. When I'm alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all of this world, but give me Jesus. So strengthen those weary hands. Make firm those feeble knees. Keep the faith and know that God is with you, will keep you wherever you are. Blessings. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.